Hi, unicorns. I'm big mountain skier and adventurer, Lindsay Dyer, and this is Showing Up, conversations in person with real-life humans making a life in the outdoors to inspire you to embrace your weird. Do that thing even if you're scared and you suck at it in order to fully show up for this one wild and precious life. And then the next feeling was them strapping the backboard strap across my pelvis and I thought I was gonna die. Um, I remember just screaming out in pain and not really having any idea what was going on and being um, in so much pain and so scared, so scared. Hi friends. I hope you had an amazing winter. I certainly did. Happy spring to you. I am recently home from Alaska, one of the most incredible years I've ever had up there after feeling like a failure for the last 15. And uh, I'm excited to talk about that at some point. But today, that was US ski team member, X Games competitor and journalist, my friend Brett Buckles. As you'll find out, she's one of the toughest humans you'll ever meet. After barely missing a spot on the U.S. ski team, Brett found a new outlet for her competitive fire in Skiercross. It was that event in 2008 that a competitor clipped Brett's ski just before a massive jump. She crashed, breaking her pelvis, tearing her rotator cuff, and doing lasting damage that she wouldn't discover for months to her head and consequently to her entire endocrine system, the one that runs your hormones. Brett and I talk about what it's like to be an elite competitor, how she redefined herself after injury, and the facts around women and brain trauma in general that don't get discussed. Most importantly, we'll talk about what might be the hardest aspect of any athlete's recovery, figuring out who she is after healing from an injury that called her future identity as a professional athlete into question. All right, unicorns, here we go. Hi, Brett. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for hanging out with me. We're here at the OR Trade Show, currently in the locker room of the pool room <laughs> of the Marriott. <laughs> it's the quietest space we could find. <laughs> it's late in the day, so we're doing the best to make sure that Brett has some important things to share with us. Um, and I don't know, but I have looked up to you for a long time. Brett was one of the best ski racers on the planet as I was coming up and then moved into skier cross and then has had her fair share of injuries and is willing to talk to us about it today. So, um, hi, it's good to see you. Likewise. It's been forever. Likewise. And I look up to you as well and love following your journey and love that you're still so involved and still so passionate. Um, and so it's, it's really cool to get to see where you're doing, uh, where you are, what you're doing and how you're still involved and evolving. So likewise, cool. likewise. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to jump right in, um, to, to the injury or do you, do you want to give a little context? Like, um, yeah, I mean, um, we can jump in. I can give some context. Um, I was, uh, on the national team for Alpine for four years. Um, and was kind of riddled with small injuries, but injuries that kept me to really being able to um, advance to the level that I knew I was capable of skiing. Um, Where are you from originally? Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Okay. Mm -hmm. So made the team uh, my sophomore year, going into my sophomore year of high school. Um, so young and, um, you know, had had a lot of success uh, at a younger age and kind of got thrown straight from a club situation into the national team, which um, is a really hard step for a lot of, um, I think, skiers in general, but women for sure too, um, just because you are at a younger age than most of the time that the men make the national team. Um, so made the jump and um, was was tricky and then um, ended up uh, dealing with a lot of shin injuries actually is what um, ended up happening. Um, it was a compartment syndrome situation that kind of morphed into a more severe um, situation where I really couldn't wear a ski boot without being in uh, immense pain um, and really didn't know how to deal with it until long after um, the injury and after quitting skiing. So. 
um, you know, was an alternate for 2002 here in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, really decided, okay, you know, I I can't fight this battle anymore. I've had an incredible experience. I've gotten to all ready to travel the world. I'm ready to go to school. So um, quit skiing, um, did a couple years um, at uh, community college right in Steamboat just to get my associates um, and then actually coached uh, in Steamboat at the same time and then um, went to a year of school at Arizona State just to completely do something different and um, really wanted to get away to reignite that fire and that passion of skiing that I've always had and will always have but had lost um, temporarily. Yeah, I think that's a that's a interesting point I mean were you one of those kids that wanted to go to the Olympics at it from a young age definitely mm-hmm. definitely I mean when we back in the day we had a women's world cup in steamboat and it was mm-hmm. Julie Parisian and Eva Torgo Dokens and all those ladies and um, watching that the women's world cup and then it was a pro the pro tour Definitely, that was my inspiration. I mean, as soon as I got my first poster signed by one of those ladies, they were on my wall, and that, mm. that was it from, mm-hmm. the, you know, from then on. Um, and I find stuff from my childhood all the time that says, I want to be an Olympian, and pictures of you know, medals. And, um, so definitely, that was, that was a goal from young, 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 young age. Mm. Um, so I think not being able to really fulfill that desire and that dream was hard. Um, But I also felt like the injury thing really kind of kept me back from being, I felt mentally I I was there, but physically I was not. Um, So I really didn't want to kind of fight that battle anymore. Um, And I knew that I wanted to go to school. I knew that I wanted to go to school for journalism. So I really felt lucky that I knew what I wanted to go to school for. I mean, I think there's so many kids that, you know, graduate high school and go straight into college and they have no idea what they want to do. And they end up just spending their parents' money or their money and wasting their time. And um, I knew exactly what I wanted to go to school for. So I was really ready to just pursue that. Um, So went actually to the journalism school at Arizona State. Um, It was a really good school, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. Nice. Um, So did a year there and then kind of reignited that passion of skiing and snow and mountains that I wanted to to relight inside of me and um, fell, well, uh, transferred back to CU, um, Boulder, and then you know, kind of right away fell back into skiing and um, was actually at home in Steamboat over Christmas and was um, partying. You know, it's always like homecoming um, over the holidays. When you come home, all your friends are home for the holidays and um, was with an old friend at a bar one night and said uh, he was going to then what was the Jabra um, X Games qualifier out in um, Sugar Bowl, California for um, ski cross. And he said, Brett, I know you'd be awesome at it. Just come. And I'm thinking there's no way in creation that I am going to go and restart a skiing career. And I don't know what it was inside of me, but um, I shook on it and I said, okay, I'm going to go. It'll be fun. Whatever. So ended up at this X Games qualifier and won it. And the next thing I knew, literally like a week back into skiing, I was qualified for X Games for ski cross. And uh, it freaked me out. <laughs> I had no business being there. But um, I, I went and uh, I think I crashed. Um, even in training, I had crashed once. And then, you know, the, the course is so huge at X right. Games. And I was just like, ah, right. Let's talk me. about that. So like, let's for build context for listeners. Tell us the difference between a ski racing course uh, and what was your event? Were you slalom GS? Um, super G and downhill. Oh, so speed. You the speed. And, yeah, and jumps. Um, but ski cross, you know, it's either four. Uh, traditional is four people um, at a time head to head. X Games is six. So oh, it's wow. even a little more crazy and a, um, a little more extreme. So what would you what would you compare it to? Would you say it's like a GS course mixed with, in some cases, super G, certainly downhill because of the jumps, but... And then the other way I explain it is motocross mm-hmm. on skis because um, it's turns and bank turns and rollers and jumps and a progression of rollers and jumps. And, um, and then it's, I mean, I, 
you it can be full contact although you don't want it to be full yeah. contact that was my experience um, it was right. crazy it's yep. one thing to go down these courses on your own but to go for a cross where you yeah you're elbowing in some cases and knife edge skis below you all over you the could, place you flying can really the hurt yeah. yourself in so many ways yeah, i mean the, the margin for error is practically limitless. I broke is, my back on my second I skier cross. I remember, I remember your days of <laughs> skier cross. so gnarly. I wish mine, my day, well, I don't wish. You it don't was, wish, you crushed it. It was a wonderful experience and it was, it was, it was awesome because it was a second chance at a career for me. Right. Um, and I did love it. And so I make it to, to X Games and I'm so freaked out and I crash in training and um, I think I crashed my first heat and that was the end of it. And uh, I remember, talking to my dad going into it and saying, you know, I really don't feel like I belong here, dad. This is crazy. I was like, I'm just going to see how this goes and decide what I'm doing. Cause it was right at fall semester for school where it was either like, okay, I try this for the winter or I stick with school. How did you, th how did you take the competition that like from ski race competition to skier cross? Was it similar or was it really different? It was really different. And the thing that, that I really learned about ski cross is some of the best ski racers in the world were terrible ski cross competitors. Really? They, it, you have to have a completely different mindset because not only are you thinking about your own race, but you're thinking about everybody else's race too. And if you're out front, what are they doing behind you? So there's well, strategies. There is major strategy. And um, it was really interesting to see that fast ski racers were not necessarily fast at ski cross. And then likewise, uh, and you're going the other way, um, maybe skiers that weren't that great or weren't that successful in ski racing did amazing in ski cross. So it was, there was definitely strategy and, um, yeah, technique to, to how you went about your heats too, you know, as far as that kind of strategy. So like what, like drafting, drafting or? and maybe just, you know, if the first two in each heat qualify for the next round, not trying to win your heat, just right. trying to make Get it through. to the next round and conserving your energy mm -hmm. um, as well as drafting, as well as just skiing smart, you know, not always skiing the fastest, but skiing smart, both for your own safety, for everyone else's safety, but also to keep progressing through sure. heats yeah. and through um, qualifying rounds. Fascinating. You're like one of the nicest people in the world and competition <laughs> to me is so scary, especially <laughs> there's a reason I didn't continue with the ski racing and it was because the girls were so gnarly. They are so gnarly. I had one that would continuously try and stab me with her pole. Yeah. I mean, one, one race we were in Telluride and she was inches away from stabbing me in the eyeball with yeah. the end of her pole going through the finish line oh um, my god and they were they were they they elbowed more than the men yeah they they that's they why i crashed there yeah they would stick their poles between your legs um and they just have to be more shady about it because the men just have the strength and the women don't so they do shadier things wow Okay, so you crashed through that first. So I crashed in the in my first heat and in my first X Games, and um, you know, my dad was the one that was like, "Don't put all the pressure on X Games." You know, he's like, "Don't make all your decisions at be on your result at X Games." He's like, "If you're having fun, go do it. Do and it for the season." I love it. So how old are you at this time? So you're going to school. So I was like, um, it was about 11 years ago. So I would have been about uh, 25. Um, 24, 25. So, you know, I said, gosh, dad, you're so right. You, you know, he's like, if you're having fun and you have that fire back inside you, go do it. You know, you know, as they say, you only live once. And it was so true. And it was that, that, that moment on the phone with him still resonates totally. with me because, um, had I probably not listened to him say that, I wouldn't have had the career yeah. that I did have, um, in ski cross. Let's talk about that fire too. It's, I, it's really hard to explain. It is. But, yeah. but it's an what energy. It to you? Uh -huh. it's, it's literally, it's an energy um, that wells up in my heart, in my chest, in my It in literally my soul, feels like my, burning. It does. It, it does. And there's something mixed in with wanting it so bad that you have this visceral 
it's painful it is and it i mean you want it me it it reminds me of like a little kid on christmas eve where Mm -hmm. you're just so excited and you're just so overcome with energy and emotion um and passion Mm -hmm. you know and it is it's a burn and it's a yearning it's an it's and i don't even think say it's an emptiness in a bad way it's just it's a cup that wants to be full. it's a hunger it is was there a picture for you was there like this goal of that (laughs) you know for me, it was redemption. It was, mm-hmm. okay, do, I'm getting a second chance at a ski career. Mm-hmm. I want to do it. I want to see what I'm made of. And mm-hmm. this was before it was even announced in, in the Olympics, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just like, I want to see if I can get to where I'm ca- I know it's that like I'm reaching your of. potential. Absolutely. That feeling 100%. of uh, where you're like, yeah, that's this satisfaction of I've reached my potential. But yeah, so, you know, fast forward to kind of getting to the injury and everything. Um, I, they, the Olympics were announced for 2010 and that ski cross would be named and, and we would be, you know, almost in our backyard in Whistler. And so they really promoted us and pushed us to start um, traveling to Europe and start doing World Cups, both to just kind of see what other uh, courses were out there and just to kind of see where we were stacking up with the rest of the field. So the next thing I knew, I was traveling to Europe for World Cup Ski Cross. And um, this particular event was actually a world, uh, excuse me, um, European X Games in Teen, France. And um, going back to how we were all kind of comrades as far as uh, the safety aspect, um, this course was so big and so fast. And when I mean big, I mean the the jumps um, were massive. I mean, so much airtime and one jump straight landing into the next jump. Um, It was big and it was fast and it was scary. Mm -hmm. And the first day we all got there, we, I don't know. How big? Um, we were flying like 75 feet and going about 40 miles an hour. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, like I remember just uh, the first one for me, they had parked two cars underneath. Yeah, And that was in the U.S. So I can't imagine. Oh, I mean, we were jump, we could have been jumping over. Oh my gosh. Like that's like, like half a football field. Yeah. Oh, easy. Yeah. 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 And you know, even bigger, bigger. I mean, you could have stacked two cars on top of each other going off these jumps. Oh, totally. Or, you know. or four. Yeah, probably. probably. I mean, <laughs> even that one, you probably could have. Yeah. But yeah, oh, I'm yeah. just trying to give context of like how big and how scary. Yeah. I mean, it would have been, it would have, I mean, obviously not going 80 miles an hour like a downhill, but um, definitely going faster than being in a giant slalom. Oh, yeah. And um, bigger jumps than downhill almost and higher off the ground. You yeah. know, so many jump, so many downhills, you stay low on the ground, which is nice. These, you were just launching. They're almost in like the kickers. Air. They are. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole different perspective when you're that high in the air. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and then one, to be four abreast in the, or six. In exactly. Your case. Exactly. And that's what ended up happening with me. That's where we ran into trouble. But the first day we got there, it was, uh, we hadn't even started running it. So you have a a window at the very beginning where you inspect the course and you look at it and you see, you know, at what point do you want to take, what side of the jump you want to take on off on if there's a turn after it or how you want to land to set yourself up for a turn after it. Uh, so I think we only got to, uh, inspecting and it was decided just as athletes that the course was way too big and that the jumps were way too big and that you would be carrying way too much speed so um, we went to the the meeting at the end of the day and said, okay, this needs to be, and that was the other cool thing about ski cross. Athletes were so involved and had so much say to the course builders and to the jurors um, and the judges uh, on on the course. Um, you got to talk about it uh, as, a, as an athlete and as a group of athletes. And, you know, so safety, the athlete safety was directly from the mouth of the athletes which you don't get to do in as much I guess in a world cup uh ski race so we had said you know this is way too big we're this is not safe we're not going to do this so they decided okay we're going to knock this down and we'll we'll train tomorrow 
So we got up there the next day and they had made everything smaller, but it was still really, really fast. And there was a jump that uh, you were carrying so much speed and then you were going off of it so fast and then the 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 space uh the distance between the lip of the jump and the landing was so far that you couldn't scrub any speed or wow. you wouldn't you wouldn't land on the landing where you would have you call it knuckling it where you come up short and you you land where the the landing zone starts um, and so no, none of the women, um, the, the guys were even saying, oh my gosh, this is crazy that you can, you were barely making this, this clearing of this, um, landing of this jump. And, um, we were at the top of the course going, well, what do we do? What do us girls do? And they said, well, you just have to carry full speed. And, and, and it was almost to the point where we were actually not, physically popping it. So popping it is when you're actually jumping off the lip. So you're increasing your speed and increasing your distance. But there's a, there's a a technique where you just are lifting your legs up, which doesn't give you the pop, but it definitely, it helps you fly a little bit farther. So the guys were kind of trying to tell us women how, how to go about this jump. And I, remember just being absolutely terrified like you knew it didn't feel right absolutely and I you know there's there's something to be said about really listening to your gut and going with your gut and um in retrospect I wish I did because I didn't and and that's what I really learned even in my years of super g and downhill do not leave the starting gate I mean it's a fine line. There's, there's sometimes where you're nervous, um, but sometimes it's an, it's, it's an excited nervous, you know? Um, and I think that there are times where you do have to work through a really scared nervous. Um, but there was something that I knew I shouldn't have gone against my gut on this one, but you had all the pressure of all of all the money that goes into it, all of it, it, there's so much more, right? It was back wanna... to that being intense of like getting that result of getting that number of being the only face of women's ski cross in the U S of, you know, all of a sudden I need to be, I need to be racing these races because I need to be, you know, if I want to go to the Olympics, I want to do the best job I can and I want to do as well as possible. So I need to be racing this race. And and I'm I, representing my country. I'm representing women and I don't want to let anyone down. And exactly. And, and be labeled anything and yeah just shut up and do it and I and and I think I had the the own personal um commitment of not wanting to fail again and you know I don't feel like I failed in ski in ski racing I just didn't I didn't make the, didn't to, reach, the, to the potential you, that I wanted. You didn't reach your own expectations. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I didn't want to do that again. And so I remember going with a couple other girls out of the starting gate for our first uh, training run. We were skiing sections of the course and then stopping. And um, the other hard part that's such a mental fight is that you have to be able to ski this course from start to finish during the training time before you're out racing it because there's no way in heck that you can go out of the start in the race in your first heat and not have skied the whole course or you're really deemed for failure you know and so I you know I had the pressure of just I have to do this I have to ski this I have to ski this and I remember going out of the start and being like oh gosh here we go and just being, I have shivers because I've been here enough times to know. And it is like everything is fighting you. Everything. Everything. So I, I started approaching the jump that was in question and that we were all having such a hard time with. And I felt the girls around me that I was in the training heat with. And um, one of them actually went to scrub speed uh, from being too scared. And her ski hit mine um, as I was going off the lip of the jump. Um, so from catching my ski uh, or her hitting my ski, I caught a slight edge. And so my ski went, started to, or my edge started to slowly dig into the lip of the jump. And, um, 
by the time I was going off of the jump, I started to turn around backwards as I was flying through the air. Oh my God. So the momentum of the edge tracking off the, off the jump uh, spin me, spun me around backwards in the air. And my last visual and conscious thought was, this is going to hurt when I land. <laughs> and I just remember looking sideways, flying through the air sideways, backwards, and watching the landing go by me. And that was the last thing I remember before um, crashing. And I completely flew past the landing hill and the landing zone and dropped, they think, probably about 20, 25 feet out of the sky onto the right side of my body. And um, the next thing I remember, which was probably minutes later, was um, someone yelling at me in my face in French. Uh, I had no idea, obviously, what they were saying. Um, and I remember being in pain, and it was just kind of all over my body. And um, went black again. Um, and then the next feeling was them strapping the backboard strap across my pelvis and I thought I was gonna die um, I remember just screaming out in pain and not really having any idea what was going on and being um, in so much pain and so scared so scared everything hurt nobody was speaking English um, and then again I went out and I um I had, I guess they told me, a 45-minute uh, ambulance ride to the nearest hospital, and I remember nothing. I, I think that they realized something was wrong with my pelvis, and it was that be immediately became the focus, and they did nothing, to my knowledge, about keeping me awake for my head. They had no idea I had had a head injury, and so um, I think their only focus was my pelvis, and my head got completely overlooked. Um, and so, um, I, I remember, I don't remember anything. I, I think I vaguely remember having to get onto, um, the x-ray table and being screaming in pain. And then my next memory was either the day or two days after. And, um, they had, the U.S. ski team had just partnered with Global Rescue for um, evacuating internationally. And um, I woke up and had somebody speaking English to me. And um, we had no team doctor there yet. Um, the one, my coach was splitting time between all the athletes and me, 45 minutes away in a hotel. And... Um, had barely any communication with the ski team at that point. There was a doctor on the way uh, in travel. And um, when I finally came to and was able to, to stay awake long enough to understand what was going on, they told me about my pelvis. I had two fractures, top and bottom, as well as bone chips. And the doctor, the French doctor, wanted to do emergency surgery with for plates and screws. So there wasn't any other internal bleeding, though? There was no internal bleeding. I'm so which, surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have easily bled to death or cut my um, nerve and been paralyzed. All of it. Or All of punctured lungs. Or, I mean, the intensity that, that you come out of the sky with that, I just... Thankfully, it's a testament to how strong you must have been uh, to only have that, even though that's insane as well as your head. But you could have died so easily, so easily, so easy. I could have, you know, I, I could be in a homeland and be, you know, at least broken your neck. Like, I can't believe you didn't. I, the way you're moving right now from that story is insane. Yeah. Yeah. And then broke my uh, sacrum, cracked and separated my sacrum in my low brack. Um, and then... Um, all of it kind of, I think a lot was lost in translation. Um, once they decide, they were um, picture text messaging my x-rays back to the U.S. saying, does she need emergency surgery? Does she need emergency surgery? And they knew I would be going back to Colorado. And so they were able to get us in contact. I say us. Um, it was Derek from Global Rescue. He 
is my savior to this day. Um, he was able to get in touch with the trauma specialist from Denver Health who sees all the car accidents. But otherwise, you had nobody. You didn't have a no coach. One. You didn't have a family member. No You're one. on your own in Europe. Totally. Wow. In, you know, the Alps of You of were some France. white girl in, in some <laughs> random hospital. Absolutely. And that spoke no, no right, French. And they... American girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And we know how the French are about Americans. And women. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, you know, hindsight, they should have put a catheter in me. I was having to lift myself up off the hospital bed to slide a bedpan underneath me to try and go to the bathroom. Then they found out later on that I had a torn labrum in my shoulder. So here I was trying to lift myself up with a completely torn apart shoulder, um, again, I still don't think that they made me stay awake at all with, for my head. Um, as far as I know, I slept all the time, the whole time. And again, no um, one is addressing your head. Nobody on a morphine drip by this point in so much pain. At one point I was really uncomfortable in the hospital bed. This hospital, I remember it having calamine lotion, pink walls and just, um, it had, I think, the, the biggest, <laughs> what kept me alive every day was I had a sliding door that looked straight out to the mountain. And they would open the door for me every day so I could actually have a piece of real life. Um, so how many days is it in the it hospital? It was there? five days in the hospital. They, um, A, had to stable my condition. Um, then they had to organize a flight. Uh, I had to take um, another ambulance ride that was over an hour to the nearest hos- uh, excuse me, airport. And then we flew um, France to Ireland, Ireland to Newfoundland, Newfoundland to Michigan. They had to bring me into the hangar. We had to change, and this was all medevac uh, flight uh, airplanes. So it was the pilot, the nurse, and me. I was on, you know, they were taking my vitals the whole time, the whole flight. It was a, ended up being a 36 hour flight. Changed airplane. How much did it cost? Uh, $80,000. Just for the transport. Just for the transport. Wow. That, you know, and obviously. The logistics of, of that with the U.S. ski team was still being worked out with Global Rescue. Um, so that didn't include hospital bills, uh, ambulance bills, medical bills, insurance, co-pays, all of it. Um, so, and then flew me from Michigan to Denver, and uh, Denver Health ambulance picked me up on the runway in Denver. And then I was in Denver another four days to stabilize myself. I had to learn how to walk on a walker and go to the bathroom by myself before I was let out of the hospital. So at this point, you still haven't even, you haven't had any surgery, nothing. No surgery. Nothing secure. You're still broken. And you're expected to get up to pee. Yes. And never, hadn't even sat up had been had been on my back for five um, going on nine days all these broken parts absolutely honey so um had just the thought of a having to sit up and b somehow have to walk was the most scary thing I have ever had to wrap my head around in my life in my life but being the athlete you were you, it, maybe if you screamed enough, they would have done something about it, but you probably didn't. That's just not your nature. I went from I went from a morphine drip to ibuprofen. I, of course I went, you did. I, yeah. <laughs> I and the, every time they moved me, I would feel my bones just oh. slap together. And um, I yeah, they they took me off morphine finally. Um, I didn't want any sort of Percocet or you know any other drugs. Um, and my first day of sitting up, I was so lightheaded the whole day. I would have to lay back down um, because my blood pressure had changed so much just from the nine days of being on my back. Do you feel like that you were using any of the training that that had got you there just to get through? Absolutely. I mean, just the mental power, right. just the mental power of, of 
I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make a full recovery. I don't need surgery. They, my, so they had, they had picture text messages, messaged my x-rays to the Denver health doctor and said, do does she need emergency surgery? And he said, no, but get her to me as soon as possible. And thank goodness he saw that and, and didn't let them, because if, if anybody else would have said, yes, I would have been having surgery in France and which would have ended up you know, now being an unnecessary surgery. Um, the doctor could tell that my bones were close enough that they would grow back together. You know, they're not perfect and I'm a little bit, it's a little bit rotated, but I don't have plates and screws in my pelvis, which is an amazing, amazing, amazing. I mean, I'd still be having problems with it. I'd probably have another, had to have had another surgery to get it all taken back out at least, at least. So first day they told me I had to learn how to sit up. They put me on this big puffy chair. It was just like this big air chair. And, um, besides feeling like I was going to pass out, I was in the most excruciating pain just to sit upright. And I remember, you know, that, that mental power being like, you're, you're going to sit. They told me I had to sit for an hour and a half. And again, it was just mortifying. For strength reasons or why? Just to learn how to sit up again. Just to learn the movements. And this, this is what they, they, these were my goals to discharge me. And of course I wanted to get home. I didn't want to be in Denver. I wanted, you know, I just, I was, I, I, I was already, I think, so fortunate that I didn't die, that I didn't bleed to death, that I didn't lose a leg, that I didn't have emergency surgery, that I was going to be okay. Um, but at the, the whole time, what's going on with your head? As far as I remember, nothing. Nothing. I think they finally, I did have some scrapes on my head, and so I think they finally said, you know, how hard do you think you hit your head? How long do you think you were out? And I think they had started to address it, but there was no, you need to not look at screens. You need to stay in a dark room. You need to ease back into. Do you remember any symptoms at that time? Like, were you going in and out? Could you, were you seeing straight? At that point, I was, my vision seemed fine. I don't recall having headaches. I get asked if I have headaches all the time um, because I think that's one of the, you know, biggest symptoms of TBI is headaches. And um, luckily, by an major blessing. I, I don't have headaches. I I still don't experience headaches. Um, I think I, I, I was so sore. I know that I was sore from head to toe. Um, my memory was very spotty about everything, uh, you know, from, from the first minute that I came to on. Um, but still nothing, nothing about my head, really, nothing. Do you remember anything around heartbreak about that dream slipping away again? Abs- totally, totally. And, and to wrestle with that fact that I knew I shouldn't have pulled out of that mm-hmm. starting gate. I, you what know, would have happened if you actually pulled out? Like, you would have caused a fuss, for sure, don't you think? Absolutely. And that's why I didn't, I didn't, I, I let greater than peer pressure, but I let that pressure pressure me into something that I knew I shouldn't have done. We've all done it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a level of pressure. That's, that's huge. Yeah. And now, you know, in retrospect, I will never let anybody pressure me into something that I don't feel good about ever again, because now I know I've, I've, I've lived my ninth life, you know, and, um, I'm so fortunate to have pretty much made a full recovery. I mean, my, not my, quite though. So let's talk about that. Yes. So it's, you go through your recovery, you think that your pelvis is healed and then what? So I go through, <laughs> so I, I go from a walker to crutches to a cane. And then as soon as I'm off walking apparatus, I have to get my shoulder fixed. So I did end up having shoulder, shoulder surgery. I get my shoulder fixed. I How get, long is all that? I go, you know, start to finish from all of that was about eight months. And then they told me, well, you know, you really can't be on your feet that long for, for very many hours a day. You know, you still have a lot of recovery. You really can't work right now. You need to let your body continue to heal. Because if you, go, you know, if you try and go back too much and if you're standing on your, on your pelvis too long, you're going to start to have issues. And so, um, 
I moved out to California and went to the beach. They told me that going to sea level would be the best thing I could do for myself, um, just with all of the the trauma that my body went through. And so I went um, to San Diego and lived on the beach for six months. And at that point, I was so excited to not have every day physical therapy be my focus. I mean, that was pretty much my all day, every day. If I wasn't at physical therapy, I was doing exercises at home. I was icing. I was doing strength exercises. I was, you know, we did a lot of Pilates because to get all of my core muscles working again and firing correctly and, and waking them up again. They, they died. Everything died in, in my core because they, it was just went into complete protective mode for my pelvic. So once I finally was in eat, sleeping, and breathing recovery, I, I was so excited to just not have my body be my priority. You know, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to, to focus on your body and your health, but then when, when it's that intense, it's kind of nice to not have to think about recovery 24-7. So I got away from it. And um, went to the beach for a while and then came back and um, started working again. And I was working at a really fast-paced breakfast restaurant. And I slowly started to get more and more exhausted every day. And it was to the point where I would go home after work, go straight to bed, sleep 10, 12 hours and wake up and feel like I was hit by a truck. I mean, feel like I got no rest, like my body was not recovering at all. And then I noticed I had never had a regular menstrual cycle just because that's so standard as for an athlete, athletes. Yeah. And so I never really thought about it. And then I started talking to a couple of friends and I, I said, you know, I don't even remember the last time I got my period. And they were looking at me like, are you serious, Brett? This is not good. And I started thinking about it and was said, no, I, I don't know the last time. And so I went to my gynecologist and she, you know, they kind of have their quick fixes just to see, you know, just to try and diagnose what's going on with you, whether it's, you know, an ovarian cyst or, you know, there's Anemia little things. Or, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, she kind of tried to do the quick fix, which is a progesterone boost um, and nothing, nothing. And so then the next thing, she sent me to a hormone specialist in Denver. And um, they did an ultrasound, and I did have ovarian cysts. And they said, well, maybe this is exactly what's going on. Um, let's, let's give you some antibiotics. Let's get, see if we can get your cysts down, and let's see if then that will give you your, your menstruation again. And nothing. And so he's, you know, he, it was kind of a process of elimination where it was either something in my stomach or something in my head. And the more that I discussed with him what was going on, how I was feeling, what was going on physically, how I was feeling mentally, he really started to hone in on my head. And he started asking the questions, well, what did they do about your head injury? And have you been having headaches? And how is your memory? And what do you, like, what? What parts of your life don't you remember now? Because my, my memory now is terrible. It's, it's sad. It's really tragic. I have friends that want to talk about stories of our past and I remember nothing. Mm-hmm. And then there's parts of my memory that I remember perfectly. And that has been probably the saddest and most challenging part of, of my recovery is just losing so many memories as um, a child and just pre- injury so Um, what the doctor is finding is that you're having a major hormone deficiency because of hitting your head absolutely so people don't know about this no and this is this is what i really want to raise awareness about is you know we we see all of the studies now with NFL players and wrestlers and soccer players and we see what happens to predominantly men but we don't see what happens to women and we don't see what happens long term i mean sure they died so they figured out okay Brett actually this is what's happening your pro, your hormones get produced in your stomach but what tells your body to produce and your stomach to produce your hormones is done in your brain 
and it's your hypothalamus and your pituitary gland. Your hypothalamus is your computer and your pituitary gland is your engine. And so your hypothalamus tells your pituitary gland, okay, we need to make this amount of, the, of estrogen, progesterone to testosterone. And so what he deduced was he said, okay, so you're either having issues in your stomach, which is why they did the ultrasound, and, and he, or he said, you're, you, have, you have a disconnect in your brain. And so then so it was- stopped produced, producing compl- hormones. Completely. My, my hypothalamus and my pituitary gland no longer connect and no longer communicate. And what the other issue could have been, I mean, it was, there was a chance, there was a moment where I was about to go in for emergency brain surgery because I could have severed my brain stem. That was the other possibility. And so I went straight in for a brain MRI and, um, he immediately looked at it and said, well, it's not your brain. It's not your brain stem. Um, but it is your hypothalamus and your pituitary and you have absolutely no estrogen in your body, no progesterone. You are going through premenopause and you are starting the beginning signs of osteoporosis. Whoa. And this was How are you doing 29 emotionally? years old. Terrible. I was a wreck. I was a wreck. And <laughs> I remember being at this busy restaurant and and besides being so exhausted, I had no patience for people. If they couldn't order their entree fast enough, I was ready to kick them in the face. I mean, angry. And I knew that wasn't right. But that's a sign of a TBI too. Absolutely. I mean, you ask my mom now and I'm bipolar. I mean, my anger, she, it's very trigger. Um, And so once I re- once we found out well, wait, that are you actually bipolar or no you, she, she says I am because of because of the anger because gotcha. of the anger issues and which is like the one of the number one symptoms of a TBI mm-hmm. is the anger situation and mm-hmm. and learning how to cope and how to deal with your emotion swings um and so once we knew it was my lack of hormones, we got me on hormone replacement and, um, it took a while, but I really started to come around. Um, but my memory is, is still terrible. Um, my, you know, my emotional, my swings are, are very, very difficult to deal with. Um, and like, I how, know, what do you mean? Um, you know, it's hard to say as a woman because a lot of women cry a lot, but my, my emotions are sometimes uh, I can't control. Um, I cry a lot just from passion, just from, from being high highs, low lows. Very, very. I definitely had, you know, struggled with depression. Um, never suicidal, thankfully. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people deal with that and don't know how to cope. And, it's a really interesting situation where you don't really realize what's happening to you. You can't trigger, you can't pinpoint what's happening to you. You can't pinpoint that the reason you're acting like you are is because of your brain. And even harder is you can't explain that to people outside of you. You can't even explain it to your family. They don't get it. Even to yourself, you probably just think something's wrong with you. You have no idea. You have no idea why you've made these progressions into this different person or why you're having these symptoms or why you're, but you're not even, they're not even so easy for you to understand. It's not even like, God, I'm angry. What's wrong with me? This is, must be my brain injury. You know, you don't like, you don't even, that's not even evident to you. It's such a strange progression. You don't know what's going on with you. You, you, you feel something, but the, the sign, like it's not a direct connection. You know what I mean? It's, it's really hard to explain. And, um, it's, it's been a struggle and will be a struggle for the rest of my life. Um, and I do, and it's something that, I mean, I definitely want to be able to, uh, donate my brain. Um, I was able to meet Chris Nowinski, uh, in Boston and he's who kind of, um, started finding out about CTE and the test for C. CTE, um, with the Alzheimer's Alzheimer's test, and then finding out how how CTE looks differently on a scan from Alzheimer's. And CTE is Uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is where your brain 
literally starts to die in in portions of your brain and it's from brain injuries brain injuries and often from, a TBI. from sports but not necessarily always um, a major brain injury like like one big injury I, I, I've heard that it can be from uh, multiple headers in soccer exactly and that's another that thing like everyday things that you do just to just to warm up it doesn't even have to be a concussion Mm -hmm. and you know that's another thing is raising awareness about what is a concussion a concussion you don't have to see stars you definitely don't have to get knocked out all it takes is your brain to move in your skull which is not a (laughs) much blunt force at and how all. many ski racers have hit our heads so many times? A million times. Um, and in soccer, like I would go out of my way to in stopper to to head back the ball from mid midfield. Abs- I mean, that was your that's what you do, <laughs> stopper. Yeah. yeah, and that's what you know. I think I think they're actually even realizing that these little tiny shakes are even more detrimental than one big. You know, I haven't to be honest. I had a lot of crashes. I only hit, I only hit my head a handful of times. I never had really severe concussions in in my former life. I mean, I was I was lucky as far as I never even had a, a knee injury. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's yeah. I'm noticing she doesn't have so any scars on her knees. I'm I, like, what I kind know. of a ski racer were you? <laughs> I know. Everybody says you don't have bone spurs on your toes <laughs> and you don't have knee scars. So are you were you really a skier? Or are you sure about this? No, I definitely uh, have symptoms also, which is why I I'm so glad that you brought it up. Yeah. Um, um, and not to even put myself on the same level, but like, like you said, uh, it doesn't take much. Like, and I can tell you that, uh, over time, whether it's memory, whether it's symptoms of ADD, um, just that, mm-hmm. that fogginess, mm-hmm. um, that you can't, can't quite explain that I don't remember having before. Yeah. Um, and it's scary because like you said, you can't, it's not something you diagnose. You just think something's wrong with you or you, what did I eat or uh, it, what's going on today? Um, yeah. It's, you, it's like you, glassy eyes. Um, yep. Yeah. You really have no idea. And to, to wrap your own head around it is, is difficult. And to really get somebody else to understand is even more difficult because they're not in your shoes and, um, they don't, they're not experiencing what you're experiencing. Um, and I just think it's, I find it, so powerful that you are now feeling this and you are now having these symptoms and it's something that, um, you are taking on and taking, taking a personal approach to, um, in, in helping raise awareness because it needs to be, it needs to be something that, that young and girls of all ages, need to know what can happen and Um, boys boys too and because they can have they cannot be producing hormones too you know just because we're women we still need testosterone just because they're men they still need progesterone and they go through the same things but maybe slightly differently when they're not producing their their hormones so it's just there's so many it's not just headaches it's not just memory like me it's not just dizziness it's not just anxiety there's so many different things that can happen because each part of the brain is is responsible for something else that that your performs for your body and you don't know what side what of the brain is being affected mm-hmm. you so you know it's the the gamut of of symptoms is limitless this is i guess a little off course but do you feel like you've seen the bottom it sounds really gnarly to have seen as bad as you can imagine it getting. And it's almost like once you've been there, do you feel like there's some sort of um, power to, like, I've seen as bad as it gets. I've been there. Absolutely. And, yeah. Like, what was your lowest? Um, You know, I think it was actually after I was recovered, you know, where I did, you know, even just leaving sport, um, you know, they there's a whole nother situation, which where we first met was uh, Dr. Stone and really reinventing yourself um, after being a pro athlete. Yeah, the part of you is dead. Like, you, and, and, and often it's you at, at some points, it's your whole world. The whole is. world is skiing. You That's are a skier. Image. And if you're not a skier, then you're dead. And you live through your name. 
you know, you live through your results and you what you do your name. Mm-hmm. And when that goes away, you're, you are, you're nothing, mm-hmm. you're nothing. And you have to figure out how to completely reinvent yourself. And I think that after I had recovered, that's when I was like, you know, I went from, yeah, exactly. Cause my whole, my whole life was physical therapy, getting healthy, getting healthy, getting healthy. And before that, that, vision. It's that training was, and training and training. So your for, brain is always on something. You don't have to think about anything else. You're focused. You have your tunnel vision. It's done for you. You're like, you don't have to think about that. And so then I went through my recovery and it was that. And then it was like, okay, now what? You're healthy. You're not a skier anymore. You don't have a job. You don't know where you're going to live. You don't know what you want to do. You don't know where you want to live. What are you going to do? Where are you? Who are you? Mm. You're older now. You're out of school. You know, you, you have to figure it out. All of it, everything, Mm -hmm. you know? And for me, I had really supportive parents that, you know, wanted to help me in any way they can. And not saying that, you know, not all parents are like that, but some parents can't. Some parents, you know, maybe they have passed or maybe they live somewhere else. Um, so you, you do, you start from ground zero and that was my bottom. That was definitely my bottom. And, um, you know, I really had to pick myself up and, and be thankful for everything I had. How, and not how focus do you get on there? Cause I it's so easy to say. You know, I just, I had to, I had to, I had to learn how to change my thoughts. I had to make everything from a negative into a positive. You don't have a job, but you have your life. You don't have a place, you know, you don't know where you're going to live, but you have your life. You don't know, you know, you have your, you're walking, you're completely able-bodied. You're going to be, you're not on disability. Um, What gave you the power to to change those thoughts. I think my competitive spirit. Mm. I really do. I think just having that athletic mind, even though I, I wasn't athletic, it's just that athletic spirit, you know, and just that that charge and that fire and that passion inside of me, which I'm so thankful for because I don't know how I would have kept, I don't know how I would have started over. Um, you know, I, I definitely struggled with depression and I'm so thankful that I was never suicidal because I think some people don't get through it because they don't have that fire. They don't have that passion. They don't have that energy to get through it. And every day I, I tried to change those thoughts into positive ones, into what you do have, you know, don't focus on what you don't have and don't focus on the negative, focus on the positive, focus what you do have discipline and eventually that will metamorphosize itself into greater and greater. And one tiny step forward will become another and another and another. And um, I think letting time take its time. I mean, time is, it's such a trite, you know, concept. You know, you can't rush time. You can't hurry time. But it's so true. And only you have the power of the current moment. So make that moment the most positive moment you can be in. You know, make that moment as positive as it can be. And that's choice. And exactly. And only you have that. Only you have that choice, you know. And um, it's brain power, (laughs) which I didn't think I had, but you do you have it. And, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it was not easy. It was not easy. And (laughs) I laugh, but I don't remember all of it, you know? Um, and so how far out of recovery, like how far out from the injury? 2009. Wow. So eight years going on nine years. Mm -hmm. I ask everyone, um, what advice would you give to yourself at a time when she really needed it? You know, I I would have to reword it better than just stay positive, but um, have the power of your mind to know that you can conquer anything and that you you can get through anything and you will get through it. And you will look back on this time and say, wow, I'm so glad I'm not there now, but I, I got through this. And I think that's the biggest part is that you will get through everything you get through if you're determined enough um, and if you have the power to make your mind and your choices be as positive as they can be and and be at peace with 
where you are at in your life and that moment, that present moment. So I um, am really into reggae music and the whole Caribbean culture is to be iry. And to be iry is to be in um, complete contentment with where you're at in your state of being. And so um, my license plate is be iry <laughs> because I think that that's, that's so important and you lose, it's so easy to lose sight of that. Um, we, we have such a fast-paced world and culture and life. And if you really slow it down, you are, only you, again, are in charge of your present moment. So you have to, to be content with it because you're the only one that has control of it. So be content, find contentment in every moment of your life. And if you can't be able to look back and say, you know what, I got through that, I can make it through the next obstacle. Hmm. Thanks. So, yeah. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm really happy you're doing this, and I'm honored to get to be a part of this. Likewise. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having the courage. That It's so inspiring. Thank you. I'm sorry you had to go through that to see how strong you could be, but wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I am the spirit that I am to have gotten through it and to have the desire to help others. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where I'm at. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Where, where can people find you if they do have questions? Uh, I mean, anywhere, Facebook, um, Instagram. Um, it's either me or a bodybuilder in uh, <laughs> Minnesota. Brett Buckles, B-R-E-T-T, -T, two T's, B-U-C-K-L-E-S. And um, I'm pretty I'm pretty easy to find once you realize it's the girl, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> and not the boy, Brett, bodybuilder. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, give us a review on iTunes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, Give us a review on iTunes and help us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe. Our theme is Wings by Nico Nikia Nikolai. <laughs> Our theme is Wings by Nikolai Halaitis and used under the Creative Commons license. Until next time, see you in the mountains, unicorns.